Welcome to Live to Tell, the podcast where my friends and I come together to shoot the shit and share stories of triumph and failure. I'm your host, Carl Veal, and I'm excited to share some of my experiences and eager to learn some of yours. This is a no judgment zone because after all, we all have a story to tell. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have the honor of speaking with the very wise and beautiful Brittany Allen. Two completely different upbringings, but one thing we have in common is we both grew up with the same skin color. Today's conversation, we're going to focus on race and how it affected our childhood and the people that we are today. Welcome to Live to Tell. Hi, Carl. Hello, Brittany. How you doing? I'm well. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Welcome to Live to Tell Bay. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No, thanks for doing the show. Okay, no problem. I'm excited. <laughs> okay, so I really wanted to bring you on today and have like a real authentic talk about race and how, is, how it has affected us from like childhood all the way up to today. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's a, obviously a heavy topic. I feel like it's always been a heavy topic, especially in the United States. Mm-hmm. But I think after everything that happened uh, in the summer of 2020, it's it just becomes so much more on the forefront of everybody's mind and definitely mine mm-hmm. in a way that it had not been previously. Now, I'm positive that we probably grew up in like completely different ways, <laughs> but with some of the same struggles. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about like how you grew up and where you grew up and all of that. Okay. So as soon as you, you meet me, I, I let everyone know that I am a proud Chicagoan, a proud Southsider. Mm-hmm. So I was born and raised on the South Side of Chicago. I grew up in a predominantly black community for whatever reason when you hear that people seem to think that you grew up in the hood (laughs) (laughs) i um i did not i grew up in a well-to-do community i think that's one of the most amazing things about the south side of chicago i know it gets a lot of news coverage and bad reporting for all the killings that take place in the summer but there are plenty of um, great communities that exist within the south side of chicago and i happen to grow up in one of the most amazing communities. Um, so yeah, that's where I originate from. So do you think that you had like a, a pretty good childhood then, like growing up? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I am very fortunate, very blessed to be raised in a pretty strong-willed um, black family that uh, focuses in on Christianity. Everybody knows that, everybody that knows me knows that I am a firm believer. And um a loving, supporting, caring family. So, yeah, but she's in love. I have grown up and have maintained all my friendships for the most part since I was in kindergarten. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So my childhood was a little different. I was raised mostly around my mom's side of the family, who is white, and I never really got to know my dad's part of the family. And there, there was, like, a ton of racism, like, all around me. I don't know if it was the area. I grew up in Iowa, but it was definitely challenging for myself. And you didn't seem to face those same kind of challenges. Did you grow up mainly around your black side of the family or all black family, I'm guessing? So 
we do have a similarity there in the sense that I grew up um, solely with my mother's side of the family. My father has never been a part of my life. Um, I am, I, I believe, <laughs> um, 100% black. I mean, obviously, I am fair-skinned, so I'm sure there is um, something in there along the way. But my father's side of the family tree is actually uh, pretty much a complete mystery. My mom knows who my father is, um, but mm-hmm. there was never an attempt to um, have him as a part of my, uh, my life. My mom had me when she was done with college. She was um, fully within her career. She was living on her own. And my father and her were having a relationship, but not one of serious or a substance, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so when she got pregnant, um, she found out after she had, they had it broken up, actually. And she gave him a complete out. She um, was perfectly fine with raising me on her own and with the support of my her of her family, my family. And so uh, my father has, I, I don't know who my father is. Um, and he, I've never had contact and has never even really attempted to, to reach out to that side. So there, I could be of more mixed ancestry than I'm aware. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, far, as far as I know, I uh, am and identify as black. <laughs> so when you're growing up, like when did you start to notice the difference between say like white people and black people and how they're treated and all that. So I, I, I thought about that. And so I'm actually not a hundred percent sure about when my awareness comes, you know, we always talk about with black people, there's like the, 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 the double bell of consciousness where you mm-hmm. become very aware of, Oh, I'm black and what it means to be black in America and how to navigate my blackness in America. Right. Um, right. I, I do remember maybe around the age of like, five or six, like six or seven, maybe, my mom and I had a very intense argument over my first grade teacher, Miss Bloom, who I absolutely adored. And so growing up, my mother never told me blackness was anything other than like these positive attributes. Like I grew up in a very loving, um, strong, educated black family. Mm-hmm. And so my mother would tell me black is and it would be all of these things that had nothing to do with physical traits. Partially because I think it's hard to explain blackness in the way that we know it to a to a child. Like, how do you explain that that you're black when black? You know, you learn colors. I I don't look, most none of us look uh, like a black crayon, right? Right. So um, most of us don't look like a black crayon, and I I certainly don't. So how do you explain blackness to um, to a child? And so my mom had told me blackness was, you know, strength, blackness was resilience, blackness was beauty, all these things. And I, in casual conversation, I go, oh, I love Miss Bloom because, and she's, 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 a, she's a beautiful black lady or something like that at like six or seven. And my mom falls out laughing and goes, Miss Bloom is, is not black. But <laughs> yes, she is. And we had into a full-fledged argument and I, I, my mom was like, even when she tells the story now, like I was upset because black was all these great things. Miss mm-hmm. Bloom, who I loved and adored, absolutely all these great things. And my mom is explaining to me that no, that she's white. And I actually didn't have any visual representation of anything other than mostly black. And then like Miss Bloom was the the oddball out. My teachers were the were the the instances of whiteness in my life, honestly, growing up. And so 
I, I just could not comprehend it. And I'm not sure when it clicked or when I became aware of, oh, white is this, black is that. But it was definitely a struggle and something that um, my mother necessarily didn't do the best job of explaining because she put positive personality traits on it. <laughs> and obviously... That's really funny, actually. I mean, and I wish I could show you a picture of Ms. Bloom. When I tell you this is the whitest lady, and it's like, to go back and think about it now is so absurd. But that's on my mother for making it seem as though Black was necessarily like these, these characteristics of your personality as opposed to how it's been defined, you know, defined in society. That's really cool to think about, though, that you were thinking about it like attributes instead of actual skin color. Yes, I have no idea when I kind of, but I do remember the struggle. Actually, with my niece, my niece, I have two nieces. One is um, 10 going on 11, the other is 6. I remember um, she's probably like two, two or three at the time, and she got her hair French braided for the first time. And my sister went to go tie her hair down with a scarf. And I go, oh, my gosh, look at you, just such a cute little black girl. And she goes, I'm not black. And so my sister falls out laughing. I fall out laughing. I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, Jada. That's right. That's fair. <laughs> um, then what are you? I'm like, what are you? And so she looks down at herself, and she goes, I'm pink because she's wearing a pink shirt. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's weird how you, you know, and we, we really put this on kids. You know, we this is learned. And so mm-hmm. I go, no, no, Jada, what color is your skin? And she literally had no no response. She could not come up with anything, honestly. And so I go, like, are you, are you brown? And she goes, yeah, yeah, I'm brown. And then my sister, of course, could not help herself, goes, are you and auntie the same color? And my niece at, like, two or three goes, no. Because oh. she's 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 brown and I'm fair skin, mm-hmm. so she's like, oh, we're not the same. But yeah, I don't know what she is, but she's not. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. We learn it. We learn it. So when did you? Do you? I mean, maybe it was was it easier for you to see? Um, for me, see, I grew up in a completely different way. There was like racism like everywhere around me, and like even. We'd go to my grandparents' house, and we weren't allowed to sit with them, like me and my brothers and sisters. And sometimes my dad wouldn't even be invited to, like, Christmas and stuff like that. So I noticed pretty much right away. Like, I I remember there was a time when I lived on the north end of the city where I grew up, and I would ride my bike past this house. And I remember every time I rode past this house, these kids would come outside and yell nigger to me, like screaming at me. But I didn't know what the word meant. Right. But I could recognize, like, the anger in them. And, like, I knew that I had to get away from there. And that happened pretty much, like, all throughout my childhood. That's that's heart-wrenching and heartbreaking, especially when you think about the fact that you were, you know, born and raised in Iowa. Yes. When you think of that type of behavior, that type of hatred, and visceral, just, like, obviously learned and passed down hatred. Um, you think of the South, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I I will be honest with you. I know for a fact that my consciousness on that level of hatred or just stupidity, I did not become aware of how prevalent it was until I was an adult. And so I feel like over the past few years, I've grappled with how naive mm-hmm. and how sheltered I've been and then have really tried to process whether it was in my best interest 
to being sheltered or has it been a hindrance? Because I have not dealt well in my adult life. Like you feel like your eyes are open now and they weren't open then? I, I mean, crawl in a way that I could have never even imagined. I just, I just didn't, I was not exposed to the things that you're talking about on any level. Mm-hmm. I had not heard a white person say the N word until, and so that's, that's the thing. So I, I don't, I don't curse. And I stopped saying the N word in my early 20s. I was dating a white guy and in an argument called him the N word. And it felt so foolish and so stupid that that was a shift for me. And I was like, I'm not using that word anymore. And I was a couple other things that made me go, you know, I'm not going to use the word anymore. And it's not that I have a problem with it. When people use it, it does not bother me at all. When black. I was going to ask you about that because I never use that word. Like I never have, I've never called someone that, or I've never just used it in conversation, but I grew up like with people using that word and I never understood why the I never understood the anger behind the word. Like, why is it used? And then also, like, why people use it just, like, as a passing phrase. Do you know what I mean? It's weird because growing up, it was definitely always there. Um, my mom, my whole entire family uses it. My mom really doesn't say um, N-I-G-G-E-R-G-A or whatever you want to say. But um, she definitely likes Negro. That's what they my mother will absolutely say, right? And so, um, and she's always saying it in a demeaning way. So growing up, it was mostly said in a demeaning way, in a derogatory way, but in a familial, with a, a, a hint of love. So like my environment was all black, right? So mm-hmm. everybody, it was wildly acceptable to use it. And then I definitely subscribed to pop culture or, or urban culture, whatever you want to call it now. I feel like I sound ridiculous by calling it that. So I listen to, you know, all the latest rap music. I, if somebody who doesn't curse and doesn't use the N-word, it's, it's honestly hilarious to watch me, like, get into certain things, right? But, um, mm-hmm. but I've learned how to navigate that. And it wasn't until I started seeing the N-word used in context with white people. Because growing up, I heard it all the time, did not bother me. You grew up and you had instances where you knew that was coming at you in a way of like just pure hatred mm-hmm. and it was meant to hurt you. And so I had not grown up hearing the N-word in a way that was really meant to like demean me, right? Right. Um, but I remember as an adult, the first time I heard a white person say the N-word and it was not even lobbied at me in a derogatory way. It was actually in a conversation that was happening on the side of me they were using it in a derogatory way, but they weren't representing me or anything like that. And I remember just feeling enraged and hurt and shocked. And then I had like this whole internal conversation, like, like how black am I? Like, like, is my blackness got called this question in my own mind? Like, you just felt that comfortable saying that in front of me. Like, I won't mm-hmm. turn this whole place upside down. Like, <laughs> you know, am I not scary? Like, why people don't, they're not scared? Like, they've been the South Side of me. Like, that was like, whoa, how do you respond to this? Like, you need to address this, but now it's gone by and you haven't even said a word. Right. And I'm sitting there in this feeling and having this internal conversation and the only black person in the room and it, it just, it happened again and I very quietly said, I don't use that word. And it somehow cuts it. Mm-hmm. I remember I was like nine or 10 and this kid 
at school had come up to me and he called me a nigger, like yelled it like straight to my face. And I punched him so hard in the face. I broke his nose. <laughs> they probably stopped calling you that thing, huh? That was the last time. I think. <laughs> no, it wasn't the last time. It was the last time he did, but. Right, right. Yeah, you learned a lesson that day. But I was going to ask you about that, like, because um, you said something about, like, someone saying that word around you and them not being scared of you. Do you think there's like a stereotype around black people? Like they're supposed to act this way. This is how they're supposed to be. This is the person that they're going to grow up to be. Oh, I mean, that's all a part of our double consciousness. And the fact that we have to be hyper aware of how people perceive us. You know, I think that that's one of the privileges and luxuries of being a white person, especially in America. You don't have to think about anything. You need to exist. And if whatever you do, it's fine. And if you're ever called into question, it's like, what? While we're hyper aware and vigilant of how everything we do there's there's trouble for all of us you know you're a tall you know athletic built black man mm-hmm. you do have such a calming way about you carl i think that you know you just put people at ease i think the moment you show a certain level of frustration or anger you're aggressive right i think that i don't curse and so even when i'm at my angriest I'm not even being profane. Mm-hmm. At my loudest, I'm not being profane. And I'm, I get angry black women. I get sassy black women. I never forget, I had a boss one time, so, oh, I know you didn't let him get away with it. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm a pushover. I'm not the one. <laughs> I'm, I am literally the pushover in this in this, in this this HR department. I'm the nice one. Right. And I, I, I know Brittany. And I was like, oh, he thinks that I'm I'm giving like neck and and of course I do have to look fast in the already know. But um mm-hmm. but yeah, we have to deal with our tropes. We have to deal with our stereotypes and people see us that way. Right. Yeah, they do. So what do you think about like um lighter skinned black people like versus being like a darker skinned black person? Like I remember growing up since I was lighter skinned. I got it from the white people and the black people, like the black people that, that I was a different kind of breed. Do you know what I mean? Like they thought my life was so much better, but I got it both ways. So, I mean, colorism definitely exists. I, I think that obviously these are remnants of slavery, right? Um, caste systems, hierarchies were built in, in through slavery. Um, it's bad in the United States. It's horrendous in other places where slavery and imperialistic pursuits from Europe took place, like India, they definitely have a caste system and um, issues with, with, with color and skin tone. Native, I'm not Native America. Um, Latin America has mm-hmm. huge hurdles to overcome um, when it comes to colorism. But yeah, it absolutely exists in, in the Black community here in the United States. Um, I think that we all even in the black community, even in marginalized communities, have to understand and accept our privileges and understand how your privileges um, impact the way you navigate society and how you interact with other members of society, right? Mm -hmm. So as a black man, you have privileges that I don't have as a black woman, right? Because you ever meet your male. But then you start getting into other layers and identities within uh, the black community and a hierarchy really quickly, you know, forms. I would argue to say, you know, um, transgender women, black women, mm-hmm. probably tend to be at the very bottom of the cat, unfortunately, right, you know. Uh, but when it comes to colorism, I think um, I am, I'm aware 
um, that for whatever reason, it tends to be at times easier. Not that I'm going to choose my words properly. Easier to navigate life being a fair skinned black woman. I was going to ask you that. Do you think that we, wherever we are today, wherever you are today or wherever I am today, do you think that we would have gotten as far as we've gotten if our skin color was darker? Hmm. I know that's a hard question. Yeah, because I feel like, I mean, it's subjective. I feel like um, I'm, I'm not where I want to be in life, too. So what good has it really gotten me, right? Um, but I do know that people have prejudices and preferences. And mm-hmm. at being a light-skinned woman definitely has afforded me privileges. I think when it comes to dating, um, mm-hmm. but I think I'm very cognizant of that. And I'm very hyper-aware. And I think that a lot of times it, it, if I start to get the feeling that you're dating me because you want me to fit in what I have to call your beige black world. <laughs> but no, but no, but no, no, absolutely not. Like I'm, that's a no for me. Um, I'm black, 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 black. And it doesn't matter what spectrum I'm on. Mm-hmm. It's not getting any less real over here. Okay. I, I feel like no matter what room I walk into, you're going to realize right away I'm a black woman that I'm black right that I'm a woman like there are certain things that you're going to immediately you're going to immediately pick away and so if you think that you can be with me because I'm going to be away for you to get spicy and babies shame on you shame on you <laughs> uh, also think that I think it helps too I think that I, you know I'm not I, I'm, I'm fair skin but I'm not I, I, I'm not a curly hair life member. So I'm not I'm not mixed leaning so mm-hmm. um i think that comes with a, a whole nother level like the tracy ellis's of the world you know mm-hmm. um i think they have to deal with other things and they're the, the bottom line is that people absolutely have have those problems i feel like i stay in my place and i stay in my lane and when um darker skinned women go up to bat about the issues that they're dealing with i shut up you know i'm not right. that, i'm not, i'm mm-mm. She's right. I'm sure she's going to that. I can't attest to mm-hmm. that. That's ugly. That's visceral. But I, I'm not. But you can empathize with her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I'm not going to sit and so, go, oh, I'm a black woman too. And I have problems. No, 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 no. Right. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going, I'm quiet. I support you, sis. Like, you know, I have privilege. Because <laughs> we know what's out there in the world and we know how that affects people in different ways. And mm-hmm. it can affect her way differently. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I hope that we're, I feel like there's a movement, right? Like a movement towards natural hair, appreciation mm-hmm. um, for melanin, um, more representation. I feel like more inclusive makeup. So I feel like there's a push. You saw a push in the 70s where they were pros and like loving being in their black skin. I feel like there's a, a revitalization of that. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I hope that this current wave continues and only exists. And, and expand, you know, and that everybody really truly appreciates and loves the skin they're in and can find value um, and, and, and love for themselves, for who they are. Right. So, do you have any specific stories about racism happening to you in situations you've been in? Mm, I, I don't know about me experiencing direct racism. I think that 2020 really uh, brought to like uh, covert. And um, I actually moved. I moved a month ago from Charlotte, North Carolina mm-hmm. to Houston, Texas, because I desperately desired to be around more blackness. 
Right. Did you just want to be around the culture? Do you just feel more at home? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know how many times I've, I'm out with friends and some song comes on and they all like get to singing and <laughs> loving it and, and they all know it and I have no idea. Uh-huh. And I'm sure there are times when I play something and they have no idea. And to me, it's a classic. And they're like, what is this? <laughs> have you have you ever felt a need like to fit in, like with your white friends? Like, no. Has there ever been that pressure? No. I mean, no? I, I am so rooted in who I am. I think there are plenty of times they have probably been uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because... I, I cannot water myself down. I cannot have less, like less, less soft. You know, all of this is mm-hmm. it, it, all this seasoning is. You're going to get it all. Right. And so I think that there have very. And I don't know for a fact. No offense, but there have been very uncomfortable moments, especially uh, after the, the the what happened with George Floyd. And so mm-hmm. um, it really called into question where people stood, and it really force you to have beyond surface level conversations and I actually had to literally remove people from my life right that I absolutely cared about so nothing um nothing that was direct or in my face or just just meant to be offensive but I think that a lot of times um people fail to realize that the decisions that you're making your vote it's harmful it's harmful and you can't and I know everybody has their right to hold whatever beliefs they they hold but i cannot be aligned with you i cannot be friends with you and you are making active decisions that have horrific ramifications for me my sister and your family my nieces my nieces Mm -hmm. and so what kind of aunt am i what kind of example am i if i'm hanging out with individuals who who like me but think of me almost as an exception when you really get down to it Right. See, me, myself, I think growing up in the way I did, I grew up in like in a very abusive household and growing up being like sexually confused and then also being black. It, I think it really affected like my upbringing. Like I really didn't know how to express myself and like form who I was as a person. So I think me hanging out with uh, like mostly my white friends and my white family I really had to like try as hard as I could to fit in and you didn't have that same upbringing. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. So what were things that you were doing? Well, I mean, I would imagine, uh, in terms of sexuality, Hey, I like girls, right? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, I like girls or Hey, uh, just have the same interest in them. I wasn't even allowed. My mom would not allow me to hang out with my black friends. Even though my dad was black, I wasn't allowed. And at the same time, me hanging out with my white friends, some of their parents wouldn't even let me spend the night. Like the kids would ask me if I wanted to spend the night and I'd get all excited and I'd go there. And I remember one time, especially the mom was like, no, he can't spend the night. And it was just because of the color of my skin. So I went through just like, I didn't know who I was. You know what I, you know what I mean? Well, let me ask you a question. So, you know how, like, um, mm-hmm. there exists these, these caveats on, on social media, like Black Twitter, Black Instagram, 
see the world. We, we are very much out in the open for everybody to see, but we come together and they don't know that, you know? Um, so when we talk about things like that we say that black vernacular, um, yeah, black vernacular and do you subscribe? Are you aware? Or do you feel like because your upbringing has been so um, whitewashed, honestly, um, mm-hmm. that you, you, do you have time, like difficult times connecting with the black community? I do. I feel like I really do. Like even when I have had the opportunity to finally meet my dad's family and hang out with them, I feel like a disconnect because we don't listen to the same kind of music. We haven't had the same kind of upbringing and still in my mind, I'm still not willing to talk about my upbringing. You know what I mean? Like it's hard for me to do. So it's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I do definitely feel like a little disconnect when it comes to the black part of me and expressing the black part of me. It feels inauthentic to me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I, I mean, I went to a phase in high school. I went to all black prep schools literally my entire life. I went to, um, from, I, mean, I went to Hampton University for undergrad and before then everything was all black. And I went through a phase in high school where I really got into like alternative music and was listening to things like Blink-182 and, um, you know, like whatever, like little punk rock, whatever of that time that existed. And it was not necessarily welcomed amongst my friends. I also listened to everything else that they were listening to too, but I also was getting into like these other little, you know, caveat music. And I feel like the black community is more open and well, there's an access there to um, <laughs> when it comes to like music and cultural differences. I feel like there are so many different, you know, communities within the community and niche code that you can go to and, and relate, you know, and, and have and a community, right? Obviously, Black community definitely has a long way to go when it comes to acceptance of, like, other religions and then, of course, the LGBTQIA community plus as a, um, as a whole. The Black community really got to get itself together when it comes to that. Um, but I feel like we tend to be more accepting. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I feel, I do, I feel embraced by the community like this summer I went to a, a reggae fest with one of my friends and I felt embraced, but I also felt uncomfortable because everyone know how, knew how to dance and they knew the songs and I had no idea what any of the songs were and I don't dance. So I'm just like, this is weird for me. <laughs> I, get that. I get that. So I feel like your experience, what you're just, how you're describing your experience with the black community is how I feel about my sense of white community. Like I'm there, you all know the music, you all are, you got some dance, dancing awful but like they got the dancing going mm-hmm. and they they all get it they're all on the same page and i'm just sitting there like what <laughs> like Brittany, you know like this classic i'm like no this is not a classic no one plays this in my house and and then i feel like there are times when i say things and they look at me like i got six kids and it's like okay you have no idea, right. you have no idea what that means i feel like i do have those feelings though in me like the feelings like empowerment like for black people like i just i remember even as a kid like watching the color purple for the first time and just Mm -hmm. feeling like so sad for that happening to them and just being empowered to like be a better person just to show that i am a good person even though i am black do you know what i mean yeah i feel like that's all a part of the um the the trauma that's placed on us too that that 
black excellence. Um, the idea of being mediocre is, you know, the very bottom. Mm-hmm. And that you have to be, because of what we've been through, we, we owe it to all that came for us to be even better. And when it's, when you, when you really look at it, um, white people go very far with mediocre. They get very, very far. Right. Very, very far. Um, and I don't think a lot of times the society wants to acknowledge that. <laughs> at all. <laughs> I agree. At all. Do you think that it, do you think that's a burden upon us as black people that we have to try just twice as hard just to be given even mediocre, mediocre credit, like you, you were saying? Yeah, but I think that um, it's not just us. You see that within other immigrant groups. You see those first and second generations, like, you know, my family sacrificed to, to come here and these other and these things. And I feel like the white community has had that whole, like, pull themselves about a bootstrap when reality is this. There's so many subsidies for those early waves of uh, immigrants they came over with literally nothing there was nobody saying oh you got to this paper and cost it costs this much money and you need to go through the proper channels like they literally got on the boat they came over let them through mm-hmm. and it was good to go you know right and then there were plenty of things that they could do to eventually you know move up the uh, the food chain but i think like when you get into these later waves of immigration and these families have come from wherever they sacrificed and you know, um, you have to go to college and get it first, and you, we all feel that pressure. That I think that's a burden that's put on us. How, well, that's how do you feel about that? How do you feel about every person that isn't white going through all of the struggle, but then we also feel really kind of alone, and and we're only thinking about our own like personal cases about it. Like, how do you feel about Native Americans and Asians and Latinos and our own race like being persecuted? So there's a book called Cast, and it's, I mean, it's like 800 pages. So a lot of research into um, the different ways of immigration within the U.S. And if you ever get a chance to read it, it really puts in perspective how unique America is in the sense that whiteness is at the very top, right? Mm-hmm. And your ability to assimilate and or the proximity to whiteness affords you better opportunities in this in this country mm-hmm. and then if you're closer you're the closer you are to blackness but those two things stay the same like whiteness is at one end of the spectrum and then blackness is at the other end of the spectrum no matter how many other ways of immigration come in no matter where you might fall you are going to fall somewhere in between whiteness and blackness and so though other people of color definitely are marginalized and experience um different areas of racism, uh, experience, different cases of oppression, um, othering, they always, no matter what, even though we've been here the longest, you know, some of those, you know, longer, mm-hmm. um, they, they find themselves above us. And so I don't, I don't necessarily hold that against them, but it's a privilege. Like my life is, is, is my, my collection is a, is a privilege. Like you being a male is a privilege, right? And so, um, Mm-hmm. They, they, I think that a lot of times they don't own it or they're not always aware of it. Um, they don't want to uh, admit it. But the systems that are put in place in this country really make it so that it doesn't matter how you are or how you feel about things personally. You're operating within a design. And until you're dedicated to breaking down those systems, mm-hmm you are somehow a, a, a problem, a part of the problem. 
Right. So everyone else is also a part of the problem, even if you are, even if you want to be or not. Does that make sense? Like I, this is perfect. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, 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 my last company, I, I work in HR. My last company, I had an all El Salvadorian workforce. Love them to pieces. Great, great, hardworking. And so on multiple occasions, I would have, you know, employees, you know, make it very clear, like, oh, white people lazy. And they would talk to me in a very uncomfortable like, manner in a way, like, oh, you know, white people lazy, you know, you know, like we, <laughs> you know, we're, we're different, you know, mm. And so um, <laughs> it's very much like, you know, and, they, and sometimes like skin, like, like literally rub their skin. Because some of them, you know, varying degrees of uh, uh, being able to communicate in English. But when they went to go apply for homes and loans to get homes and things of that nature, and or I had one employee come to me and check their voter registration. Like, oh, I need to make sure I, I register to vote. I feel comfortable coming to you because I know we're voting the same way. I was like, what? <laughs> and they're like, I know. <laughs> well, you, you, we, we're on the same page, like because we, we're 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 like cousins, basically. Like we're we're close. Mm-hmm. But oh no no no, I I said white. Oh, on my home loan, white. Right. And then Hispanic. Right. So always feel wanting to have as close of a proximity to whiteness as possible. Yeah, that's that's rough. So uh, so what's it like for you? to like even do something as simple as like going to the gas station and seeing another black person that is in a complete different lifestyle. Like you can like a homeless black person or just someone that you know is really down on their luck. What's it like for you to just see them at the gas station or wherever you are and know that that could have been you if circumstances had worked out differently? I am extremely empathetic um i it pains me honestly and it's not even just a black thing but i I always feel feel horrible for those types of marginalized people right and i always wonder i always really wonder about your story Mm -hmm. so i think that a lot of times people just don't see um like the homeless community don't they don't see the people who are really on the margin side those who have been you know pushed to the side right i and I really want to see them. I really want to know how you ended up here. I truly believe that for the majority of us, we are just a handful of unfortunate circumstances away from, from being destitute. Mm-hmm. I really think that majority of us are, that's really the case. Like you just are a few bad obstacles away from just homeless. I mean, you could just right. see certain things can really come together and next thing you know, you, you have nothing, right? Um, I, I will tell you, I'll tell you a story. Um, my family has a church in Chicago um, and we had a program that we did. It was an after school food program. And so my, my grandfather's aunt, my grandfather's sister, rather, my aunt, great aunt, mm-hmm. got me to volunteer. And so I'm thinking I'm going to be handing out snacks to these kids. And it turned out, no, I was there to tutor. And so it was kids in a neighborhood and this is definitely an impoverished, um, low income neighborhood. Right. And, I would go in and volunteer on Wednesday afternoons and Friday afternoons. I would leave out after two, maybe three hours of volunteering completely depleted because it really felt like the majority of them were never going to get out of the circumstances that they were in, that everything was stacked against them. And I'm not going to say that they, these kids are going to be, you know, relegated forever to the, you know, the poverty, but the way that this, country is built the way the systems are designed 
So the racist. They're fucked. Like they have no choice. Yeah. Like this is a racist country. This is a capitalistic country. And it's really everything stacked up for for people to say at the very bottom. What's infuriating to me is that a lot of people don't realize that they're really, that they are at the bottom. Um, I get really angry about poor white people's commitment to um, voting against their, their own best interest. It's infuriating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, yeah, there's, I, I think for a lot of people, it's very difficult to climb the social ladder. And do you think that they've just been mind manipulated so much that to the point where they just give up? Like being told no, or this is who you are, this is where you belong. They've just been mind manipulated so much that they're just like, just give up. I think that ignorance is bliss. I think that people genuinely don't know. I, until you're exposed, how, how do you even become aware? If everyone around you mm-hmm. looks like you, does the same things you're doing, lives in the same environment you're living in, you think that this is the norm. Mm-hmm. So it, it becomes your regular. And so you don't know that there are other levels of existence until you are exposed. And how do you get exposure? Because the way things are designed here, you are relegated to your life. So there's no there's no training on how to progress in life. Yeah. So when you think about people, people who are impoverished, no one's teaching you how to manage money. I mean, that's, in, in terms of basic education, which we are all, you know, to some degree afforded in this country for free, um, it does not teach you about money management. It does not teach you about investment. Um, and then, honestly, there have been so many systems put in place to make sure that black people specifically do not progress. Right. There are laws, policies put in place. This is a inherently racist country. And... I am an American. I um, am proudly American. I'm proud of all the things that this country is supposed to stand for, but I am not unaware of the realities of this country. And I think that that is the biggest part, biggest problem with um, some Americans is not really understanding that the reality of it. Do you think that they realize that every day when like a person like you or myself walks out of the house that we have to deal with some type of racism? Like, every single day no that's what became very aware to me this summer is that they a lot of people genuinely believe that the the cases like george floyd and um, um taylor and savant it's because you were not obeying and if you had just followed the letter of the law you would be fine i remember having the conversation with um an associate or a friend i'll actually call him a friend and we do not speak at all anymore because of everything that transpired in 2020, his inability to see things differently. Um, mm-hmm. he, he would say, you know, you do have to follow the law. And I was like, you used to be a drug addict and you're from New York. And because you live in Long Island, you were never stopped in threat. Mm-hmm. Had you been Puerto Rican and lived in the Bronx, do you think you would have gotten the opportunity to eventually kick your drug habit and make it to where you are today? Or do you think you've been stopped at some point and thrown in jail? And like, no, like it's, you need to understand that the world views you differently. The fact that that man who killed that or allegedly killed that white lady 
the 22-some-year-old is on the run. Mm-hmm. Had that been a black man that had killed a white woman, they would have never allowed him to go home and, you know, lawyer up and get with his family. No. They would have busted right through that door immediately. Yeah, there's no way. And just started shooting. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way that he would have been allowed to just go home. And we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, right. We crossed the street wrong. We're getting tanked. Do you know, um, just the other day, I was walking home from the gym, and this cop, he passed me, and I just continue walking, then he goes around, down down like a block, turns, and then come and passes me again, and then does it a third time when I'm still walking home from the gym. And I just, like, looked straight at his car and just, like, shook my head because it was just like, what do you what do you want? I have my water bottle in my hand. I'm obviously in gym clothes. I'm walking home from the gym. Like, what do you want? What am I doing? If they took the police presence in black communities and shifted it to the suburbs, white people would literally lose their mind. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be told what to do at all. At all. Right. To imagine someone of, you know, an authority figure, whenever you see them getting arrested and they're like, wait a minute, hold on. No, no, absolutely not. But the whole idea, <laughs> the whole idea of, oh, just comply when never comply or not never, but you know, they can just get away with so much more. They can, like, push a cop. Yeah. If we pushed a cop, oh, my God, we would be in deep-ass trouble. But it's not even just the police. So, like, yeah, you know, police, that's obviously a, a hard job. You are clearly going to scenarios, situations where you're thinking the worst of people. They have seen the worst of people in a way that most of us don't see. So that's one thing. But it's, it's, it's in our everyday lives when it's like, I don't know you, you're a stranger, and you think you have the authority to speak to me and question what I'm doing. We've all been addressed by a white person out in public about something we're doing. And it's just mm-hmm. none of their business. Right. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely none of their business. And so we all are police. Black people are police in a way that white people cannot even imagine. So has there ever been a time where you actually were in a situation where you actually feared for your safety because you were black? Um, I'll be honest with you. So I, I, I'm from Chicago, but I have lived in the South now for often, well, I moved to Charlotte seven years ago and I lived in Virginia for four years when I was an undergrad. Um, there are times when I drive, because I don't like to, I like to fly. But I really do love a, a road trip. There are times when I am driving through the backwoods of Alabama or Mississippi or, and I am petrified. Right. To get gas. I am terrified of my car breaking down. Um, you see the Confederate flag and you know that there are individuals that don't see you. As a person. As a full right. being. Yeah. So I feel as though there are plenty of times where I feel fearful. Um, but anything where I was directly challenged like by a white person, no. Okay, no. so <clears throat> what do you, what about, like, black culture and, like, the movies and just society in general? Do you think, how exploited do you think our culture is in place onto white culture? There is a white culture. How about that? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, what's your impression of, like, white people trying to, like, dress black or act black, talk black? Like, what is that, when you see someone doing that, like, what, what is that, what kind of impression does that give to you? So, 
I get it. We are so much fun. We are, we, I mean, just creative and mm-hmm. brilliant. We can literally turn. Kind of fearless, right? Yes. Like, I think all, our culture is, like, really fearless. Innovative. And mm-hmm. I spirited. And I understand why you would want to be drawn to that, right? I would understand mm-hmm. why you would want to engage in it. And I'm not saying you can't. I feel like black culture is American culture. I feel like it does not. The things that we do become the culture. Um, right. I think that the things that were on the margins, like hip hop, R&B, it, everybody wants a piece of it. Gospel, um, blues was originally ours, jazz, you know, all of these true art forms, really, if you want to start tracing it, it goes back to us. But then again, we are the original people, so it makes sense too, right? And so, um, it is frustrating. It is frustrating not for you to engage in black culture, but for white people to profit off of black culture in a way that we can't and, and have never been afforded the opportunity to do. It is infuriating that it's not until somebody white does it that it is widely acceptable. It's infuriating that black creatives don't get paid properly and that new technologies are put into place and algorithms are put into place mm-hmm. to keep us systematically down and not paid. It's infuriating. It's infuriating. And um, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to address black ownership and control of our artistic form, but it needs to happen. I, I am, I was elated to see the TikTokers say, no, no more. The songs will come and best luck to you all. We will not give you another thing to go. <laughs> but the sad thing is, how you notice, like you'll go to like, if you go to like a top 40s or um, everyday club, mm-hmm. everything that like people did 20 years ago, they're like, living for it right whenever i go out i would like my wife that many white crew of friends it's like nelly and i'm like oh my god stuff i listened to in high school and they're like right they're still jamming today oh loving it loving it loving it right drake of course is digestible but let me go put on some let me go put on future they like what is this what what is what is this absolutely not (laughs) Like, no, 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 no. They have, and I'm like filling in my soul. And they're like, no, what is it? Mm, mm, no. Right. How do you feel about, um, what was your experience like watching like Black Panther? Like that was like one of the biggest movies ever. And it was a all black cast mainly. And how, how do you feel about that being like one of the hugest movies like ever? And what was your experience like watching it? So I went to go see it three times in the theater mm-hmm. during like the opening period. I saw it the week that it, the weekend it opened. Um, I wore African arm um, to the premiere of it. I love <laughs> that when we get together, it's a celebration. And that right. we come together, there is no meeting, there is no sign-up sheet that went out. We all understand the assignment, and we come together, and we do it to the team, you know? And it was good. It was a good-ass movie. Excellent movie. And we, we need to constantly have these moments of like, oh, black people absolutely support black things. And mm-hmm. also the rest of the world, you all can support it too because it's good. It's really good, okay? And you all enjoy it as well, right? I love that my nieces have so many characters and references 
that look like them. I love, and it's, and, and it's not just for them. I love that you can see cartoons and things of that nature that have all ethnicities. Right. So, for growing up, I remember my mom having to buy me, you know, like, oh, I'm not buying you the white doll. And <laughs> then sometimes I need, like, the Spanish-looking doll because I'm lighter. Um, things like that. Okay, I'm giving you Barbie. I'll give you Satan. <laughs> um, and stuff like that. So, but, but there being very few very few options right and now i love that there are there's so yeah, so much but i also feel like there's less of time do you remember growing up and like being able to come home and watch like freshness to bel-air mark mm-hmm. single and i feel like you know obviously tv and how we watch tv is different right than when we grew up but like we had black and grownish but it's not, and then of course you have like insecure. There's definitely avenues, but it doesn't feel, it feels like you get one or two. But we had right. left or right at one point. Right. I agree with yeah. that. You get, you get the one black movie, a, one or two black movies a year. You know, Tyler Perry got a lane sewn up, right? Right. Um, that, that I wish we had more of. I wish that our network did a better job of having more diverse entertainment so like i feel like dc needs to be better like way better i think own does a good job but oprah says you got to open the app up to more people i don't understand why i have to log in and prove that i pay for my cable each month every time i try to go on i don't understand why ava duvernay honestly is bringing down queen sugar like i want to be able to watch it anytime so i feel like we just have so uh we have much more room for growth uh when it comes right we have a, f- a ways to go like, we could be so much further i feel like we had we the 90s, we had so much. Like, you would think we would be, but it's not. Uh, yeah. I, I do feel like black culture, like, owned the 90s. Like, that was the 90s. Yes. And I think that, thankfully, that's why you have a situation where <laughs> we are the culture. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, I think that the LGBTQ community absolutely leads culture. Um I think that black black culture, I mean, a lot of times it is the black members of that community as well. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, we we are really, truly, we add all the flavoring to this melting pot, for sure. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, like, kind of a hard question. Oof. So when you, like, think back to, like, our ancestors, like, being, like, brought across in, like, the boats and, like, being hit and whipped and being raped and murdered and it going on for so long, like up until like the 1960s, even like, and the same thing happening to like native Americans. Like we just kind of like bum rest their lands and murdered them, killed them, raped them. But they, they've gotten reparations for that from like formal, like recognition from the government saying we did wrong and you get this. Why do you think something like that hasn't happened for our culture? Oh, America knows how to pay our reparations on multiple instances, what they did to with the Japanese internment camps. Um, we, we know how to say, okay, here's some money because we did wrong. Mm-hmm. But America's accountability issue. America does not own its mistakes. And we like to cover up and gloss over things. Oh, manifest destiny. No, Ray Robin Tillage and stole land. Mm-hmm. So massive genocide. What happened to the Native Americans was genocide. 
Um, it was. Yeah. Um, the, the, the trees that the Native American tribe or nations, pardon me, nations signed with the United States government that they, they completely broke and um, ignored the, 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 oh, just the atrocities. The mm-hmm. mass movement of, forced movement of Native people to the West Coast and then America deciding, <laughs> actually, we want all of that as well. Yeah, so you're gonna just have this little pocket. You all will move again, or we will we will murder in, in mass numbers, right? Mm-hmm. But then when you get into what happened to America's original sin, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about reparations for for um, descendants of slavery, it becomes so convoluted, and America acts as though it, it it's so difficult. Um, when in reality. It's just a matter of making a decision. I truly believe that people absolutely deserve reparations. Mm-hmm. I think that not just for slavery. I think that we deserve reparations for all of the discriminatory laws, practices, and policies that went in place that have actively hindered us. I think that we deserve reparations for, I think individual communities deserve reparations for um, attacks against our communities. So Tulsa, Rosewood, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, the amount of communities, black, black communities that were absolutely destroyed. Mm-hmm. But I think the approach to reparations has to be multifaceted. So I think the U.S. government needs to obviously get out absolute checks. Yes, I truly believe the United government needs to figure out a way to issue checks to the black community, right? Yes. I also think that there are a lot of families in businesses that have explicit ties to slavery and have profited. Like their family is rich as fuck. From not even the, like, when you really get into the amount of institutions in the United States that were built on the back of black people or with the use of free black labor, mm-hmm. you would be mind boggled. Universities, banking institutions that have deep ties slavery and they don't even hide it they don't even hide it if you look at logos and things of that nature it's like hmm yeah okay makes sense and then families i think that um these plantations and i think well i will say this i will say that historical institutions and museums in large part have figured out ways and to some extent to to reimagine and reinvigorating the way that they're telling the stories and things that happened on those lands and then have found ways like tell it the real way mm-hmm. and then have found ways to like invest back in the in the black community in some level of meaningful ways but I think that uh, this country has a long way to go and there are a lot of opportunities in different ways to go about rebuilding the black community and it's not the black community doing it <laughs> right <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't do it you know like it's very much like oh by your, by your bootstraps okay yeah but your great grandfather got a pot of land in the middle of nowhere for ten thousand dollars. Right. My great grandfather got a pot of land, had to work hard to earn it, pay the taxes on it, and then gentrification happened. Mm-hmm. And you all, but that's another part. That's another part. I feel like white, the amount of white people who are like, oh, you know, I'm not like, <laughs> but you now live in areas that you would your your parents would have never driven through. Right. Come on. Come on. So do you think uh, in today's like time, like today's society, 
Do you think people can be racist without even knowing that they're racist? Yeah, I, I, I think because of system. Mm-hmm. It's designed that way. I, I think that most of us don't want to give up our level of privilege. And most of us are not dedicated to tearing down the system and are comfortable with existing within the system. Like they're not willing to give up what they have to help other people. Yeah, yeah no. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They're not, they're not. They're like, nah. Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't enslave, I didn't, my people didn't enslave anybody. Yeah, but you have absolutely benefited from slavery and Jim Crow and redlining. And so um, acting as though being a passive participant still makes you a participant. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not even saying it's all on white people. I feel like as black people, we have to grapple with the fact that, you know, I am trying to be successful in a system I want to reform. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely want to continue to aspire and flourish and navigate this life in this society. Yet I also want to somehow reform it. Right. And the bottom line is we reform now. How do you, how do you tear it down and exist and try to flourish at the same time you can? Right. I was going to ask you like how that feels to be flourishing as much as you can and still there's so much left to be done. Do you know? I really feel like 2020 really opened my eyes. You know, I said, oh, I, if I was in, in the 60s, I would have been marching and this, that, and third, and blah, blah, blah. And then 2020, like, to all of us, like, reality check. And when everything happened, the pandemic happened, I lost, of course, I lost one stream of income. I literally went into survival mode. Mm-hmm. And I was so busy worried about my self-preservation that I could not get out and do the hard work that people were doing in the streets for our community. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I could barely survive. I was bare, I was literally trying to figure out how to get up and go to my job and make ends meet in the middle of a pandemic in Fort Mill, South Carolina, with in Trump country, surrounded by Trump supporters. Right. Not lose my cool and remain calm. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and not have a mental breakdown and 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 not become the aggressive black woman that they that, that they are now thinking I am and it's on the forefront of their mind. I had my company, I had a coworker come to me and go, I think I think that you're so knowledgeable and you're you, you know, you have your degree in history. I think that you should do some type of course for the entire company about racial relations. And I was like First of all, B&I is an entire <laughs> section of HR. That is a job. And no, I will not <laughs> develop an entire course on how to navigate racial differences in a workplace at a company that right. make a stance on where, it's, where it, it won't, won't say anything mm-hmm. about where we lie, uh, where, where we, our philosophy on black lives. Right. I had that wore Blue Lives Matter shirt to work. Wow. I had a coworker tell me that she didn't see color. Oh my God. Do you, what do you think about people that say shit like that? I think it's offensive. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's, and I told, I told her um, directly, I said, you are a proud Italian American. You love being Italian. You can't wait to tell people that you're Italian. You expect people to just see it on you when you walk into the building. And you think I'm supposed to take off an entire layer of my identity? 
you're going to sit here and lie to me and tell me that when I walk in the room, you didn't realize I was black. And she said, I don't think of you as less than. I said, good. Because I'm not. But that's it right there. Yeah, that's it right there. Is that you think that black can be less than. Right. And I'm exception. Or they're meant to feel less than because they're black. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you're, you're seeing them and just could not even understand it, could not comprehend it. And yeah. Okay, but I also subscribe to it. I, I moved from Charlotte. I live in Houston, Texas now. Mm-hmm. And I need to transition between jobs. I had my hair in box braids. And I was like, okay, I need to start interviewing. I have to take these braids out. And people are like, what do you mean? Like, I have to, I have, to have more approachable hair. Right. It, it's already hard enough, you know, going in and taking off the black box, right? I have to look a certain part. And so I literally subscribed and modified my hair so that I can be digestible. Isn't that a shame where you have to change the way that you look just to be presentable at work? Yep. Because our culture, the things that we subscribe to aren't considered appropriate at work. Exactly. That's insane. So what what do you what do you think it's going to take for a racism to end? I think that well, I don't think racism will end. I think systemic racism that that really means doing the hard work to tear down the systems that are in place mm-hmm. that marginalize black and brown people. I mean, but it seems like there is a uh, rejuvenated sense uh, or or rejuvenated push to strip the rights of black and brown people, right? All the laws about voting and all that. Exactly. So, I mean, obviously I moved to Texas and Governor Abbott and the the Republican legislator here, state legislator here, is doing everything in their power to make sure that Republicans get into office. Mm -hmm. But it's been going on for so long. I mean, gerrymandering, where you literally draw and ensure that you're going to be elected, you know? And mm-hmm. so I feel like um, it's those things that need to be addressed, but they're making it seem like, oh, no, we want to make sure it's about integrity. It's always been these, these oh, no, it's for the greater good um, of everybody. And these are just simple things that we're putting in place that makes it, you know, it, it, it's equitable for everybody. And it's not. It's not. And most people, especially in white America, don't seem to care nor understand what it's like to live, the, to live the life of a marginalized person. And so because it's not their reality, they have no idea that these um, legislators are putting in extreme obstacles for black and brown people to exist and to have a, a equitable fight in this game, you know? A chance, a chance at life. Yeah, and so I, just because it's, it's, they just cannot see beyond their reality. So I just I think it goes back to even people in, that are marginalized. This is your reality. This is all you know. You can't even picture the other side of it. Right. You go glimpse into it. I do know that um, I used to think that the answer to that was, you know, more integration, more diversity. And I am now at 33, literally desperately fleeing and trying to go back to my code and to my community and isolate. So final question I'm going to ask you is about the video that we all seen of George Floyd's death. And I just wanted to hear your reaction. Your, the first time that you saw it, like what was going through your mind? I just don't know why so many white people 
can't see our humanity. I don't know why so many white people can love, adore animals, but then cannot see us as people. You know, like we, yeah, like we are one and the same. We we come from the same, and you see it even with the border patrol and the whipping of the Haitian refugees. It's just like that wouldn't be acceptable if if the complexion was white. It's just it's why and and then the justifications in 2021 from white people. It's always not a whip. It's a, a, a horse bridle and things of that nature. But I don't understand how. You can literally apply pressure to someone and let them go lifeless underneath you Mm -hmm. when people are calling out to you. And while white people are watching and you you feel no shame, you feel like you're in the right because this is a black man underneath me. Like literally like like you're pushing a pet, a roach. Right. Yeah. And you can see white people give more empathy mm-hmm. to bugs than us. And I, I genuinely don't understand it. As much as I can be frustrated and infuriated by the white community and things that, have, that the white community has done to us, um, I don't see them as human. I don't see them as, you know, not the same as me. Right. So I just don't. I just don't understand it. I really don't. Um, so I think that there's such a low level of um, value placed on life in general lately, and then even less value placed on black lives. And so it's always been the case, but you know, the, 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 the desire to, oh, I, everybody get a gun. And I understand self-preservation. I understand wanting to protect yourself, but the only purpose is to kill. And so if you're arming yourself to a certain level, it is to cause massive destruction, right? And to take a lot of life. And I don't understand why people are, why Americans are so drawn to eliminating each other. I agree. I think uh, watching that video is just one of many examples of the wrongdoings against people of our skin color. And it made me cry, like watching it, like just even like the ability to watch someone be murdered right in front of your face and it, and it not be a big deal to somebody of that same race to some of them. I'm not saying all, but just to know that his, his life just wasn't important to that person or those people involved. There is this whole precedent for that. And so I know that, that as a black man, you are supposed to be deemed dangerous and you, oh, we have to protect ourselves and these things. But historically, the most dangerous being on this planet is the white male. Right. The aggressive being on this planet is the white male. And you have to, I, I, it kind of came home to me because I think a lot of times I think about a lot of things being so long ago, mm-hmm. but not too long ago, whole families would come and it would be a whole event. People from different towns over would come over to watch the lynching of black people, to watch the murder of black people as if it was entertainment. And those individuals that were children who watched, those are people who still exist and then raise other humans. And so 
there are a lot of people, when we talk about the impact of slavery on Black people, we rarely talk about the impact of slavery and um, committing those levels of atrocities to people and the impact they had on white people. Mm-hmm. And not to say, oh, like, they're, they're victims too, but they kind of are in a sense of, you all have really internalized and accepted being that level of a savage. And, and the white community has a lot, I think everybody, everybody in the white community like this, but there are a lot of members of the white community who have, it's ingrained in them to destroy. And it's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and for very, very minute reasons that it's acceptable for them to take life. And it's, it's just okay. And so I think that um, until America starts to really address its angry white male problem, <laughs> we're really not getting anywhere. I agree. I, I mean, something has to give, something has to change because it seems like every year a story like George Floyd comes out and the whole world seems shocked and they seem over it, but then nothing happens because it keeps happening. Do you know what I mean? For me, George Floyd was obviously... I can't even, I don't even know if like car wrenching or devastating. Like these words, I feel like they're 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 massive enough to really describe the feeling. Can you imagine if there wasn't a camera there that day? That, that's that's the thing that that is happening. But for me, the real the real problematic and worrisome things are the like um, um, Ahmaud Arbery and then like the Trayvon Martin, where black boys are just out existing and white vigilantes or just white people feel as though it is their place and they have the authority to question, address, and um, attack, kill black black boys, black men, mm-hmm. and just get away with it. Go home and have dinner. And not, like nothing ever happened. Yeah, I think like those men that killed Amal Aubrey were literally going to just go on about their lives. Literally go on about their lives. And the footage did not come out because they were so dumb. The friend was so dumb. You know, how many, how many, and we, you know, so many deaths a, a day and whatnot, so many, so many black babies go missing. Um, just being here in Texas where uh, being on the I-10, the corridor, and so, like, there's a lot of trafficking of humans, right? Human trafficking? Mm-hmm. I get Amber Alerts, and I just can't help but to think, like, that's somebody's baby. And how many alerts am I not getting? How many how many black and brown boys and girls are literally just being taken from their mothers and their families? And we just don't know about it. Right. The amount of coverage that, though, it's really awful what happened to that, that, that 22-year-old girl who went off, you know, the West Coast with her fiancé that was abusive. That As sad as that is, the amount of black and brown people who have just absolutely disappear off the face of the planet and no one's giving it the even a second glance. No one here is devastating. It is devastating. Oh. It's devastating. As a black woman, I that, you know, the way you describe being profiled by the police, I don't I don't feel those fears. But I think that that's the thing that makes and one of the things I love most about the black community is that we feel we actually are we actually are a community. And we feel mm-hmm feel that like you you see George Floyd and it's like that's my uncle mm-hmm. that's my cousin that's my that's my husband that's me that's yeah yeah that's my future baby and um we feel that while I think other 
community, quote unquote, they they worry about their immediate family. I think that we genuinely feel a emotional bond with each other and um, a closeness with each other that other communities just don't just don't have. Right. Well, I love that about our community too. And I really love that you took the time to come on the show today and express yourself and just be willing to listen to my stories. And then also I love listening to your stories and I hope the world just changes and I hope that it becomes a better place for our culture. I hope that you and I can have a conversation offline. I, I really would love to hear more about your stories, but I think that um, your stories definitely obviously come with a lot of trauma and hurt and, and whatnot. And so um, I, I look forward to our future conversations that are like offline and we can talk about your experiences because it's definitely a unique one. And I am so proud of the human you have become, Carl, to know that you grew up in the manner in which you did and to see you be literally a ray of light. I, I introduced you recently to a friend and she was like, I have never met a being. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> he is just. That is like so sweet. Thank you so much. Like you do utter positivity. And I think that that's one of the amazing things a lot of times out of the black community um, is that even out of all the pain and strife and heartache and trauma, there's so much light, so much light and so much beauty. And so I think that you are truly a representation of that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you being on the show. So, yes, we'll have many conversations after today. Yes. Thank you for having me. I, I miss you, friend. <laughs> I miss you, too. And we'll talk soon, okay? All right. Bye. Bye.